Good morning. Welcome to the final part of our teaching series, Head to Heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved for it is with the heart we believe resulting in righteousness and with the mouth we confess resulting in salvation. Believing in your heart. Is your head turned by what you hear or read about Jesus? Or is your heart touched? The great minister from many years ago, Jonathan Edwards, once wrote, An increase in speculative knowledge in the divine is not what is so much needed by people today. Men may abound in this sort of learning and truth and have no heart. We do not need so much to have our heads turned as to have our hearts touched. In Matthew 23, Jesus censored the scribes and Pharisees for studying the law without applying it to their heart, to their lives. From that chapter in verses 27 and 28, Jesus said very graphically, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones. You also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Today we we have a problem separating the heart uh, from our actions, meaning that we can oftentimes outwardly act and say things honoring to God, like a tomb on the outside that's whitewashed. But inside, uh, we can have a dead man's bones, spiritual deadness. And this is a horrible prospect. And this is why we need to be reminded And I'm so thankful for this truth that Jesus came to save us down to our heart. A real inner change. And not just to modify our behavior or to make us a good person. Good does not always mean God. Therefore, I welcome you to this final emphasis from the scriptures concerning a move from our head to our heart. This move involves the truth of one's salvation. We discover this emphasis from Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to begin with. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. This becomes the point. There should exist no opposition between the inward act of faith and the outward confession. One should be regarded as a necessary expression of the other. Romans 10.9 offers several facts of, of one's salvation, the change that Jesus brings, that proves the necessity of moving from Head to heart. I'd like to share uh, these three facts with you. First, from verse 9 of Romans 10, if we confess with our mouth Jesus 
is Lord. The first salvation fact, confessing Christ as Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. This represents confession over expression. Confession offers a commitment of belief. Expression simply means that you're making known one's thoughts or feelings. Anyone can express good words and good commitments most any time. But these may be nothing more than human expressions, if not involving a true God-prompted confession of who Jesus Christ is as Savior and Lord. Anyone can express a belief in God and in Jesus. But this term confess, from the Greek language homologeo, offers the idea of professing. The term literally means speaking together, homos logeos, with, speaking with one another, or agreeing with. Here are some ways our confessing Christ as Lord agrees with God and supersedes any feeble notion of simply expressing that we believe in truth about Jesus. When we confess, what do we agree with concerning God's truth? This is the meaning of confess. First, to confess is to agree with God in every fact of our condition of sin. The absolute judgment of sin and hell and the condemnation of sin. For all have sin. And the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. So first, in our confession, we agree with God that we have sin in our lives and that sin needs to be forgiven. Second, what do we confess? Second, to confess is to confess humbly, but with certainty, uh, acknowledging God's holiness, love, kindness, and grace. And so second, when we, when we say we confess, we're not only confessing our sin, but we're confessing that God is holy. Third, to confess also acknowledges the noticeable and the, and the undeniable separation sin causes from God's perfect love. And this confession resolves to a deep dependence upon Jesus Christ to heal that separation and that brokenness. And fourth, to confess recognizes the sinfulness of our hearts and the utter despair of, of being in the clutches of sin's deadly grip and, and realizing that only Jesus Christ can save. Now this represents all that which we confess. Notice the confession here takes place with our mouth. Well, that was a lot to confess, right? Uh, God's holiness, our sin, our separation from God, our need for Christ to bridge that separation. And this confession, according to Romans 10, 9, takes place with our mouth, a member of our physical vessel. So confession offers an example of rendering our bodies in response to the resolve of our soul. For confession indicates the whole of the outward. When we confess, we recognize in our hearts who God is, our sin, our need for Christ, and we express this with the confession of our mouth. This becomes the message of Romans 10, 9. To confess with the mouth indicates a public pronouncement. This can include, but also transcend, the quiet and faint acknowledgments we often make in church settings. Uh, to confess with the mouth represents one who truly believes to the point that the soul's dedication comes forth in the mouth's 
proclamation. Let me say that again. To confess with the mouth represents one who truly believes to the point that the soul's dedication comes forth in the mouth proclamation. With the mouth indicates a public notice of an inner experience. With the mouth indicates the intensity of an inner conviction. With the mouth indicates genuine belief and faith. Let me share those three examples with you again of what it means to confess. Uh, to confess with the mouth means to confess an experience, to confess an, an internal belief, uh, to confess that we genuinely are trusting in Jesus. So what does this mean to confess Jesus as Lord? Considering the original audience of these words, I love the, I love the human context of all these truths. Uh, considering the original audience of these words, Paul's readership, no Jew would confess who had not really trusted in Christ. No Gentile would confess who had not ceased worshiping the emperor. So confession of lordship comes when one has, has resolved that there is no other to be served. No other expression of faith. No, no other entity to serve, including self. There's nothing else to be served but Christ. So confession and confessing Christ as Lord represents a deeper transaction than, than merely words. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, we read that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus can be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2 verse 11 acknowledges the absolute declaration that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. True internal faith, true conviction of the heart always precedes confession. But Paul has listed confession first to emphasize the resolve of the faith within. To confess with your mouth that you have already surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord. Before we move on to a second salvation fact, consider a bit deeper the phrase confessing Christ as Lord. To offer such a confession expresses that there exists no passion nor any other allegiance greater than Christ. Kyrion, the Greek term for Lord, becomes expressed from the Greek of the New Testament as both a reference to God and to Jesus. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, you shall worship the Lord your God. The word Lord, Kyrion there, references God. Peter in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, when the Lord's catch of fish came in, cried out from his own sin to Jesus and said, my Lord, again the term is Kyrion. So both for God and for Lord comes this, or for God and for Jesus comes this amazing term, Kyrion, or Lord. This term references authority, supremacy. This term also represents deserved jurisdiction. To confess as Lord Jesus Christ expresses a soul awareness that your life 
belongs to Jesus. And Jesus alone deserves to rule and to reign in you and over you. God himself in Christ deserves to rule and reign in your life. He is Lord. Our lives are his jurisdiction because of what he has done for us. This represents salvation and confession. The first salvation fact, confessing Jesus as Lord. This is how salvation fact moves from, moves from head to heart. We, we confess him as Lord. Uh, confessing Christ as Lord. Fanny Crosby, that beloved hymn writer many years ago, uh, was, was blind from childhood. But instead of wallowing in self-pity, she held on to her faith in God and, and wrote such powerful hymns that we still sing. Uh, one such hymn is titled, I Am Thine, O Lord. Jesus mattered to her above all things. For this dear hymn writer, she could say he is Lord even over her own sight. This represents true lordship indeed. So, so we confess Christ as Lord and we do so because we believe him to be so. So having set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, we confess him as Lord. And this moves us to a second salvation fact. Again, these salvation facts help us to move in our understanding of Christ from head to heart. And the first was confessing Christ as Lord. But the second is this, believing in your heart. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart. So let's pause there. The mind and will, the soul, should be in complete agreement with what one knows to be true. This represents true belief. To believe rep represents the resolve of the soul. For to believe uh, with the heart represents the whole of the inner man, the, the soul and and the body should should work in this divine synchronization. We we confess and, and we, we believe. Confession would be dead without faith and faith without confession would be lifeless. Whereas the heart represents the seat of the will and thought and the very soul of man with emotion and intent, each part of the inner self becomes convincingly surrendered to the truth of God in Christ. This represents belief, salvation belief. True salvation comes as we give up our soul in surrender to Christ as Lord. And what are we believing? What are we believing? And this takes us to the third salvation fact. It's, it's added here to make the statement complete. The resurrection. Believing in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead. You know, we're, we're one week away from celebrating Easter. This is such a vital truth for you and I to, to embrace. And yes, we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's one salvation fact that teaches us how to move in our understanding of Jesus from head to heart. And we, we believe in our heart. That, that again is a salvation fact that encourages us to move from head to heart. But, but the third fact, we, we believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead. This is, this is such a vital part of, of our belief in Christ and, and such a significant reason why uh, our knowledge of Jesus must move from simply 
cataloging information about him that perhaps we, we've learned all of our life and allowing that to move to the heart. So let me share with you why this is so important. Why it's so important to believe in a heart that God raised Christ from the dead. Why did God single out in his word and in this verse through the Apostle Paul's uh, authorship uh, that God has raised Christ from the dead? Uh, there, there seems to be no other piece of the gospel involved here. We'll, we'll lean in closely and give you some facts as to why the resurrection is so important here. First, the resurrection affirms the whole gospel. The resurrection sums up all things. The resurrection becomes the all-inclusive summary of the work of Christ. He rose again. Second fact, the resurrection emphasizes the glory of the cross of Jesus. Now, the cross was place of shame and sin and death. But through that sacrifice, we beheld the glory of the Son of God. So the resurrection emphasizes the glory that came from the cross of Christ and His death. The resurrection emphasizes the death of Christ and His life-giving power and presence as having overcome death, the grave, sin, and hell itself. What does that leave that could threaten your life. Do you, do you hear those? He has overcome death, the grave, sin, and hell itself. What does that leave that could threaten your life? Nothing. Wow. Next fact. The resurrection serves as the glorious antecedent to the ascension of Christ. And his place of being seated at the right hand of God. I love that, that the resurrection pointed toward the ascension of Christ. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, Jesus is described as the priest who, who offered the sacrifice for sins once for all. And then, and I love this phrase, sat down at the right hand of God. <laughs> he finished the work. It was complete. It is done. This fulfilled the prophecy of Psalm 110 verse 1, then the Lord said to my Lord, the psalmist wrote, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Another fact of the resurrection, the resurrection stands throughout all history as the reason for the life of the church. Those who worship regularly uh, at King's Grand have, you've heard me say many, many times, we we are and Easter people. We are a resurrection people. We celebrate the resurrection every day of our lives because the resurrection has brought life to the church. The death and passion of Christ avails to nothing unless he arose. And indeed he did. The ministry of the church and even individual faith avails nothing unless he arose. And indeed he did. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Wow. Do you see these three salvation facts that allow us to move from head to heart? Confess with your mouth, he is Lord, and then believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead. Now I'd like to point you to verse 10 as we close. Because verse 10 offers the result of the above confessing and believing. And we read from verse 10. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth 
you profess your faith and are saved. It is with your heart you believe. It's with your mouth you profess. These are not works, but are expressions of how God has opened our spiritual eyes to the truth of Jesus. And we, we believe. And, and that belief is, is, is our opening up to how God desires to justify us. To make us right with Him in Christ. And, and we profess with our mouth. And this indicates that that salvation has truly become a real part of our lives. Wow. The great preacher of many, many years ago, Charles Finney, offered this explanation. In regard to faith, the scriptures affirm that the devils also believe and tremble. But it surely cannot be meant that they had a heart faith. No, they do not believe unto righteousness. Faith in the intellect is a judgment and opinion. The mind may be aware of and believe in the facts of the great doctrines of religion, yet this faith may not result in righteousness. Or perhaps it may go so much further as to move their feelings and play on their sensibility and yet may do nothing more. It may produce no change in the will. It may result in no new moral purpose, may utterly fail to reach the voluntary attitude of the mind and hence will make no change in the life. But heart faith, on the other hand, is true confidence and involves an earnest committal of oneself and interests to the demands of the truth believed. To believe what is said to them and to commit themselves to the care of the one that loves them. When a person believes in his or her heart, converse to believing information with your mind, that person is declared by God as righteous. This represents the meaning of justify. This expresses that all charges against us are dropped. In our case, the charges against us due to our sin. Such a salvation is, is personal and, and internal. Therefore, belief with your inner being, the core of who you are, represents true believing. When such a salvation becomes reality, then the mouth <laughs> expresses the truth. Um, when my girls were little, and even our little one now will sometimes say, I, I just couldn't help it, I had to say it. And sometimes we feel that way, good or bad may come from our mouths at times. But, but when such a salvation, when true salvation becomes reality, the mouth can't help it, the mouth expresses the truth. And this profession proves that one truly knows the Lord. And this is Paul's message. This, this confession happens because God in Christ has brought the change. Now understand this. We as followers of Jesus are looking at the truth of the gospel. We are, we are viewing inside the scriptures, inside of two very familiar verses, the emphasis of one's salvation remaining how God in Christ has redeemed us uh, from our brokenness in this in this world and, and our brokenness in our own lives because of sin. And we recognize this truth. And the question may be, uh, why should we as Christians still dwell upon the basic meaning of, of our salvation? Because God saves down to the innermost being. We cannot forget that God, God changes us in our heart and, 
and moving from head to heart emphasizes that we're truly living out the salvation we proclaim. Tim Keller wrote this. He offers the following definition for what Jesus meant by being poor in spirit. It means seeing that you are deeply in debt before God and you have no ability to even begin to redeem yourself. God's free generosity to you at infinite cost to him was the only thing that saved you. But many people today resist Jesus' teaching about our spiritual poverty. Keller writes, on the contrary, you believe that God owes you some things. He ought to answer your prayers and to bless you for the many good things you've done. Even though the Bible doesn't use the term, by inference, we can say that we feel like at times we, we are middle class in spirit. Uh, at times we feel that, that we've earned a certain standing with God through our hard work. We also may believe that success and, and the resources, uh, we have coming to us are due to us because of our own energy and our our own work. I love that Keller appraises that that we should see our spiritual poverty, but many times we think of ourselves as spiritually middle class, as if we've earned some things that we can receive. No. When it comes to our place before God in Christ, He is holy. We're separated from His holiness because of our sin. And until we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we will never have that separation bridged. Only Jesus can, can bridge that chasm between my sinful heart and a holy God. I am, I am in spiritual poverty without Jesus. But when my faith is in Jesus and I receive by faith what he's done on the cross and, and because I know that through the resurrection, he's alive forevermore and he gives me life and victory over death, hell, sin, and the grave, then, then I can rejoice. And my rejoicing comes because I, I know not only with the head, but with the heart what Christ has done for me. And you can know this too, not just with the head. The preaching today, like all other opportunities to hear God's word preached, is about the truth going from head to heart. But we must realize these facts of salvation that reminds us of God's work in our hearts changing us. He did so through Christ when we received by faith salvation and he changes us daily if we will but keep our eyes focused ever so intently upon Jesus. And upon the truth, the whole truth of God's word, the story of God which is about him redeeming mankind to himself through the price of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus rose again on the third day to secure for us this new life. We have this new life. This new life is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I pray today that as we move into this holy week leading up to Easter, that we are able to truly celebrate that Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. And we owe our lives to him. If our faith is in him, we, we owe everything to him. Even if you have never trusted in Jesus, you still owe everything to Jesus because he came and he defeated all that stood against you. And he, in, in the cross, counted you as righteous, if you just receive his gift of salvation, then you can uh, 
you can have the truth of Romans 10, 10 as a reality in your life. Um, righteousness with God through Christ and salvation from sin. Oh, I pray that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If not, would you follow the words of Romans 10, verse 9 and 10? Would you right now, right now, wherever you may be seated, if you're driving, if you could stop for a moment, if you're listening on a device in your car, if, if you're at home and you have other distractions around you, could you lean in just for a brief moment? Would you allow God's word just to speak right to your heart, right to the depth of your soul? If you've never confessed through their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, would you do that right now? Would you pray this prayer? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I recognize through the words I've heard from your scriptures that I have sin in my life. And I will die in that sin if you don't save me. Jesus, I invite you to save me. Jesus, I confess my sin to you and my need for you. I trust that what you did on the cross and that you rose again is enough to save me. And I put my faith and trust in that and in you. And I receive your salvation today. Thank you for saving me. I give my life to you. Amen. If that's your heart, if you've prayed that, on the screen right now is a website location you can go to at this very moment. We'll respond to you. We'll reach out to you. We will have conversation because there's no greater step to take than that step. Perhaps you would say, well, I've never made that commitment, but I've been in church all my life. The membership to a congregation will not be enough. What is enough? Confessing Jesus as Lord of your life, confessing your sins to him and receiving his gift of salvation. That is, that is all that, that we can do. There is nothing else we can do. There's no other way to be right with God than through Jesus Christ. So would you place your faith in him today? Don't place your faith in good works or a good heritage you, you feel you've inherited from your parents concerning faith. No, this is about you and your faith or your need for Jesus. Place your faith and trust in him. Reach out to this website location. And we would love to have a conversation with you right now concerning what it means to know Jesus Christ. This is all about the relationship with Jesus. There's, there's no emphasis on vain and empty religion. And this is about knowing Jesus. And I pray that your heart's open to him. And if you're listening today and you know for certain that your faith is in Christ and you're following him, I pray that today's message has encouraged you to keep all things about Christ, not just in the head, but in the heart. It's so easy to push things back up to the mind. It seems safe there, doesn't it? We, we have our facts. We know our truths. But oh, when that truth comes to the heart, things change. And things are confronted. Don't be afraid to daily allow the gospel truth of Jesus to permeate every part of your heart, the center of your life, so that we're truly living for him. Hey, thank you so much for joining us, not just for today, but for this entire teaching series. These four weeks, we have gone into some familiar scriptures discerning how to move from head to heart concerning the truth of God and the truth of Jesus Christ. I hope this has been encouraging. I look forward, wow, to seeing you in seven days as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Please join us on campus if you can. Uh, if not, we'll have an Easter service online. But we will have an amazing time of celebrating Easter here uh, in an outdoor service um, on April 4th 
here on site at King's Grant Baptist Church. Hope, hope that you can join us. Uh, all the precautions will be taken. This will be a great opportunity to come together. But if we, if we don't see you in person, I'll see you right here um, next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, be with us as we depart from this time of teaching and worship. Thank you for all that's been done today to guide us in worship, for the music, for even for this broadcast and for the diligence that is that is practiced to, to make this connection into homes possible. Father, we thank you and praise you for all of this. And Father, now as we uh, move into this week, this holy week of observing the passion of your son, Jesus, the sacrifice, the, uh, the difficult road to Calvary's Hill, that dark night, but then that glorious morning on Resurrection Day. Father, as we begin this celebration, keep our hearts focused on you.